the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. All of them, we have a big crowd today. Starting with Mr. Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hey, Mike. Hi, everybody. Good to be here. It's good to see you, Bobby. Uh, next, we have Mr. Brandon Birdside. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. Good to see everyone. Brandon, good to see you. Uh, followed by Scott Gershon. Hey, guys. And uh, next, we have Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. Is this episode 214? Uh, 214. Right. Ah. Happy 214, everybody. 214. My goodness. And Finally, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. I've never missed a show, including 214. <laughs> Mr. Rob Arbatier. Rob. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing? Doing great, Rob. And Rob. joining us today, we are honored to have the one and only Mr. Carl Tetz, sound designer extraordinaire, studio designer extraordinaire, excuse me. Uh, and I've only, visiting with him. only read and heard about this, so. <laughs> uh, Carl, I, and actually, this is, believe it or not, this is Carl's second time on the podcast. And you're like, no, it's not. What, where was the first one? Well, I did a podcast in Nashville um, with well, a bunch of guys. We didn't do video, did we? No, but it was the, it was the audio. It was audio. Uh, and actually, I videoed it, too, so I do have video of it. Oh, really? So, but I thought I had lost uh, that podcast because of the drive that I recorded it on had died. And it was the first stop of the whole round the world trip. So I was weeks away from getting home. Anyhow, make a long story short, I found the podcast. I had, apparently I dragged it onto a uh, video drive, uh, archive backup drive that I had. And, right. And you were just thinking oh. of me and I contacted you. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's all crazy. This whole thing. He sent me an email like, I want to contact him because um, we're going to do a flashback because that podcast was really great. And it was one of the first series on um, Audio Nowcast on the road. So it was really kind of fun. Anyway, um, so we're here and I uh, hope everybody survived the last couple of weeks of heat out here in California. I don't know how it was in Nashville, but out here it was. Well, not, nothing, nothing that would hold, hold a candle to what you guys were going through. And uh, it was interesting because I actually got a note from a friend of mine um, asking me if uh, I did anything for my studio to protect the gear or anything from any of the ash or anything like that. And I didn't. I, I did. I mean, we had horrible skies, but uh, nothing got into the house. I don't know if any, did any of you guys did you get any ash problems or anything. Usually, air conditioning kind of takes care of all that and filters and things like that. But it, he brought up an interesting topic. I mean, it's like, do you guys anybody have a filter in their studio? I don't, but um, I know some people run filters in their studios just to keep it all nice and clean. Any of you guys run it in any other places? Yeah, not beyond the uh, just the regular air conditioner filters, which I've had to clean a lot more often, but other than that, nothing's... But you guys actually, I mean, you're all in different locations. Can you actually, does anybody actually see the smoke? Or is like the whole... Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. As in, take a look at the sky, and all mm. it is, is is oatmeal gray. It's the most awful thing you ever. You could look at but the sun, and it was orange. Yeah. yeah. It was unreal. You can't... All of those pictures that you saw in the news, that's really what it looked like. That Those are not filters. It's, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Two of my guys, they're working on... A, I'm doing a... Uh, 
a room up in um, uh, Olympia, Washington, and they had to drive through uh, Oregon, and they said it was oh. like real. You know, they could they only had could see like 800 feet in front of them, it, and it started like driving them crazy at some point. You know. Yeah, and there up north, the skies were more red. Here, it was just like a soupy brown gravy, just yeah, yeah. ugly, ugly. I, and, I don't. And I, I actually took a screen grab the weekend before last on my phone. It said 113 degrees, and the forecast was for smoke. <laughs> I, I had to take a screen grab. That's like the most apocalyptic thing that iPhone is, can show. Uh, that is, yeah, that's the one thing. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, I'm down, I'm down south. I'm, I'm in South Orange County. But it was so bad down here that the term spooky definitely could come into play. It just felt really spooky. And we had the smoke from the LA fires, also some of the ones that were down in the San Diego area coming up. It was just it was well, the, crazy. the cars were filled with ash. Yeah. It looked like it was sprinkling of like snow. And you just move your hand, there'd be a whole puff of uh, ash coming out. Wow. The, th the thing about it that's so horrifying is I always in my head said, oh, well, I live in L.A. because of my career. But, you know, when I'm ready to retire, I'll move somewhere with clean skies like Portland, Oregon or, yeah. you know, Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. I have a friend who lives in Portland and um, the, the PM 2.5 scale, you know, the clean air scale, the worst it gets is 500, and they were at like 481 or something wow. like that. You just could not leave the house. And the funny thing is, is that now all of the smoke and ash has reached Rhode Island and Boston. Yeah. Really? Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Well, I haven't noticed anything here. I mean, I'm sure some sort of instrumentation would pick it up, but we haven't seen anything like that here. Well, that's good. I think the jet stream so, took it up yeah. to New England. Well, hey, I'm glad everybody's safe, and I'm glad everybody survived the apocalypse. And uh, and yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I might get a air filter for my studio, but right now I didn't see any extra dust or anything. Let's move on. Hey, I, I want to tell you guys that I did something that um, I haven't done in six months, and and I took as many precautions as I can so that it wasn't as scary as it could have been. But I actually went to the movies uh, and saw Tenet, and I went to see it in the IMAX. And I will say that... Hollywood Boulevard? No, no, down in South Orange County. And it was actually... Well, here's the key. Go to the well, last don't, show. Don't tell us about the movie yet. Cause no, I know. I know. Like, Go to the people have seen it. Go to the last show on a, on a Wednesday night, and you're going to have the theater pretty much to yourself. And that's exactly what I did with my son and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. Everybody, you know, had masks on and things like that, but I felt pretty comfortable. Um, it was a little weird. They didn't have any ticket takers. You'd buy your tickets, you know, on Fandango, but nobody scanned them. And other than that, you still had enormous prices at the snack bar <laughs> and it was just like a regular movie experience, but man, it was, it was a great movie. The sound was phenomenal. I won't yeah, come up for it. Um, but, but it was, I, I could definitely see if it was a weekend night and it was crowded, how it could be a little sketchy. I, I, I purposely chose a Wednesday in the last show because I, I've heard so many things about, you know. Did they like block off the seats? Yeah, it was uh, every other row, and then you buy your seat of your group, and then there's two seats before the next group, and then there's two seats before the next group. But 
literally we were the only ones in our row so we had there was no one next to us and there was no where one do you like to sit when you see imax me i like to sit usually centerish you know generally center or above i don't like to go forwards i, I like to sit center yeah, or above. i like the back three rows yeah i just i just think i, I want to get if i'm going to pay that kind of money i want to get immersed and i just want it to be to be there so yeah, you get too immersed okay, so what's, what's the um we, we we just got there late and we were like in the second row of uh oh, i can't think of the name it's a science fiction one but this particular theater the one in nashville it's uh the low end is like well maybe it's not the theater but the low end was so intense it's just like please stop you're killing me you know you know it was the kind of low end where it was just they were using it for emotional effect you know it wasn't explosion stuff I call it lovely low end. Yeah, but, but I mean, who, who who does Batman? What's what's uh, Nolan? Yeah, uh, Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, I heard a friend of mine, Fred Paragano, who uh, <clears throat> works at Sony and Warner Brothers, and he knows the guy who, who does his movies, and he says he does that on purpose. And and he talking about the dialogue. Yeah, and he purposely buries the dialogue. Well, it's not, it's not that he purposely does it. He tries to use creatively. He doesn't feel you need to hear every word. So at sometimes he doesn't mind mixing down the dialogue, which is a common thing we do. But usually when we do it, we wash it with reverb to let the audience know, wink, wink. We're defocusing it and usually bringing the music up or something else. But one of the things that Christopher Nolan likes to do is at different points just play the dialogue where you can understand it and uh, there's a lot of discussion in the post-production community about it um sure. my feeling is kind of simple if you have to explain why you did something in my opinion i think you failed because now people are confused and when they're confused they stop watching the movie and they wonder if there's something technically wrong with the theater um, and while it might be uh, uh, artistic, it's just confusing an audience. So I'm not sure if... That's my impression. Yeah. Although I will say that when I see films that are mixed like that, I think it's the ultimate in reality, especially with dialogue, because you don't catch every single word somebody says, especially in a frantic, high-action environment. I think people you are talking... You don't have to. Like, you need to be mixed... Like even as like I used to do all the Olive Stone films, and I remember on Born in the Fourth, the kids are in the uh, diner. They're all talking about going to Vietnam, how cool it's going to be, and then they come out of the diner and they're kind of saying the same thing. So at that point, we start bringing their dialogue back, 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 and then we have John Williams' music finally come up. Because so the dialogue has become redundant, you mean? Yeah, you know, we've already they've already said it, so we thought we wanted to bring an emotional feel to it and not just an informational field because dialogue is information. Sure. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Um, but I, I don't know that he's always successful in doing what he does. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's the, the techniques of filmmaking. I think the thing is, if you're not expecting it, and there's throwaway lines all the time when we do post. Background people, people shouting and all of that. But if you think you're supposed to hear it and then you don't, that's usually the issue. Well, it brings you well, out of the illusion of, of uh, you know, the immersiveness of being lost in the story, right? You know, yeah. 
I can certainly tell you that, you know, from the Disney perspective, and obviously you know as well, Scott, the story, you know, dialogue is king because it's the story. And if you can't understand what's going on, we're not talking about background actors, but if you can't hear what they're trying to say to propel the story forward, then you're missing something. Right. Well, that's a great discussion and we'll have to pay attention a little bit more. Um, But I will tell you that nothing bugged me about Tenet. So go see it. It's really great. I'm not going to give any, any, uh, anything away. We're going to move on. Um, Brandon called me up and uh, asked me a question. And, you know, when you're on the panel and you ask me a question, there's a good chance I'm not going to answer and say, hey, hold it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. (laughs) I think I've told everybody that at least once. And he called me up because he wanted to get a a vocal microphone uh, for music, you know, for vocals, um, as opposed to VO, because there's definitely a difference in the type of microphones that you would want for those two different things. And so we started talking and, uh, you know, he, you know, was talking a really good microphone. So budget, you know, you know, zero to like four grand, you know, to, to, and that opens up a lot of possibilities. <clears throat> um, and I just said, look, we should bring it to the panel and just see what they use and see what, what they recommend. Um, because there's a lot of really good microphones in that range. There's a lot of standards, but there's some lot of good ones, you know. Um, one of the ones I mentioned to him was the Sony um, knockoff that, it's not really a knockoff, it's the one that uh, Joe Ciccarelli has and, uh, through Tonelux, which is an amazing microphone. I heard it at the AES show, and it's $2,500. But I wanted to open up to you guys. Is that for dialogue or singing? Singing, vocal microphone for singing. We so yeah, here's musical. Yeah, so what I'm looking for. So I've got I've got good mics for field recording, sound effect recording. I've got some decent mics for drum and guitar recording, but I'm missing a good uh, vocal mic. Uh, this is going to be primarily for myself, so I'm looking for something you know a male baritone voice with a rock and roll style of singing. Um, so I've sort of gone down a couple rabbit holes of. Uh, research and they all led me in a U47 direction. Um, the uh, a vintage Telefunken U47 goes for 15 to 20k, so that's not in my budget. Um, there are some other options. There's you know the modern, even the modern Telefunken uh, U47 is like nine thousand dollars. The modern Neumann FET is four thousand, but there are some good clones out there. Um, so there's like the flea 47 I'm looking at, uh, which is, uh, from what I've seen a pretty good clone of that. Um, but yeah, I'd love to, to open it up to you guys to see what in your experience, cause you guys have all had more experience than me in these type of things. Um, what has worked for you? What have you used? Uh, have you used any of the clones? Have you used the U47? Um, and then also maybe Mike, we could touch on, uh, one of the problems I ran into in my research is, you know, uh, mic shootouts, mic shootout videos on YouTube, you know, can be great if they're well done. If not, you know, there's like, uh, there's some pitfalls you can fall into as far as making a choice based on, you know, comparisons Absolutely. that may not be yeah. done in the most scientific fashion. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where it's taken me so far. I want to put together sort of a short list, um, and do my own shootout, you know, a short list of mics that I'm thinking are in the right direction. And, uh, uh, either, I don't know, talk to Vintage King and get them somehow or, you know, acquire them somehow to do a shootout and uh, and see which one works best. So uh, what what has been your all, everybody's experience? First of all, do, do you know about 
Audio Kitchen. No, what is that? Go to audiokitchen.com. They have a scientific shootout of 300 different mics. Wow. wow. Right now, it's all large diaphragm condensers, and they're going to expand it pretty soon. But it's uh, pretty interesting. It's just coming online. Uh, go yeah. to, first of all. Gotta go, everyone. I'm gonna go check out Audio Kitchen for the next 20 <laughs> hours. See you later. <laughs> You've been listening to the Audio Nowcast. Todd the Smoke. Can I start with the recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, I'm going to preface this by saying. It doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, there comes a piece of gear that it doesn't take you long. In five seconds, you go, oh, yeah, this is great. So we've all been there where you, there's something that it, in no time, you know, this is fantastic. I haven't had that happen with microphones much, but I have recently with one, and it was the Mojave Audio M1000. And it, it was so good that all I did was testing one, two, and I went, oh, my God. So that's one to check out. It's not a, a U47 style. It's more of a C12, 251. And Bobby, have you ever heard the, um, I don't know the model number, but it's a, a Audio-Technica, and it's got the four rectangular diaphragms. That's what I'm talking about. I know which one you're talking about, but I haven't heard it, no. I, I heard it once, actually, at the Potluck Con on a female vocal and it was very impressive but I, I couldn't tell you more than that i can say uh you know when i when i started you know i've sung on a lot of a lot of albums and when i started i had a 414 and so i ended up using that for years until i you know was able to save up enough scratch to uh explore other things uh, i went through the the neumann tlm 103 which is which is good. Um, then I experimented with the Lawson version of the Telefunken 251, but the microphone that I settled on for my singing voice. And honestly, Brandon, I, I don't think you can do it by listening to other people. It has to be how you react to something that you're singing into. The one that I settled on is the Neumann M147, which has got a small tube. Um, it's a transformerless mic because the transformer versions are much more expensive. By far, far and away, the best mic I have ever sung through uh, was a Neumann U67, but I know that I'll never get one of those. So, you know, so in, in the realm of reality, you know, the M147 was 15, 1800 bucks. You can, you can buy new uh, 67s now. They started making them again. Really? How much are they? <laughs> Well, not as, I mean, they're not crazy, you know. They're, not like, they're a you know, car, not a house. Tesla, <laughs> I think they're, what, are they, what do you think, Bobby, like around three grand or something like that? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I just looked at this t- today, and it was like three, four grand. Really? Yeah, yeah. It makes me want to sell a bunch of microphones and just say, take that money and just buy one good one. Because ultimately, you just need one. You, you know, for a vocal, you yeah. need your one killer vocal Ooh, mic. yeah. Hey, you know, I want to mention this as we move on, since this is, you know, we have a lot of students that listen to our podcast. Um, you know, when we talk a vocal mic, you know, some of the characteristics that, that separate it sometimes from like a, like a, 
um, a voiceover mic is there's um, depending on what microphone and what your sound is, there's a really good musical element to the microphone, whether it, it just softens the highs, not, not, it doesn't EQ them, but it's, they're not harsh. They're very musical. Sometimes you, you know, you get people that, that mention like a high end microphone has this, like there could be like a lot of weight to the vocals, you know, like the vocals are, have, have some substance and they, they, are smooth it's a nice even you don't hear any any dips you don't hear any things like that i mean how else do anybody have any other uh uh adjectives to to put into yeah, I mean, a really good microphone vocal mic one of the things, the things a lot of dialogue mics can do is pick up a lot of mouth inner noise especially shotgun mics and but a lot of the 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 416s and other dialogue mics are meant to cut they got a little bite to them and they're meant to cut through a mix uh for dialogue um, and that's why the 416 has been always so successful. I think musically, you don't want to hear all the mouth, the spit, that, all that, that mouth chatter. Uh, you want to be able to hear more of the tone that comes from the body, from the chest, from the sinuses, from the, from the, uh, from the mouth. Um, so I think it's a different, it's a kind of a different beast. Yeah, but that's a placement issue. Uh, you know, if you're but too- it's also how much body it carries, a large diaphragm, is going to carry a, a, a lot more. I mean, it depends on what you want to do with it. But You know, you, you might like this. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with a bunch of voiceover artists from all over the world. And one of the guys that was on was the voice, uh, Andrew Peters, the voice of CNN Asia. He's, he's an Australian. And he has a voice that sounds very much like, uh, oh, the guy that does CNN in... in yeah, James Earl Jones. So any mic he uses would sound great. But that being said, he was telling me that the one that's hot right now for voiceover artists was the Austrian Audio OC818, which is the brand new kind of updated version of the 414, but everybody was raving about it. Hmm. But a lot of good voiceover artists also... I used to record Don LaFontaine a bunch. And they, not only do you capture the voice, but he would get right into it and get into that proximity effect and use it as a tonal way to get his voice to sound that Don LaFontaine way. So, you know, how you, how close do you get to it? How do you use that as a tool to your advantage? Sure. I mean, I could see that. 47. Rob, what were you going to say? I, I have a few uh, uh, ideas also. Like in the price range you're talking about, I'll, I'll give a second shout out to the Neumann M147. As a just general utility, really great sounding tube mic, it's, it's awesome. And, and I find that it ends up being our go-to a lot of times. I'm also a massive fan of Mojave. Uh, their stuff is great. I haven't played with the uh, M1000 and I'm, little screwy on the uh, model numbers at the moment but mojave stuff is generally great m1000 uh, is their latest one yeah that i don't think i've heard yet because i haven't left the house in a year but other than that <laughs> i would love to take it. <laughs> but the other thing i wanted to say is and this is mostly for people out there who are just learning it's not always about the best mic with the best specs and like the mic that i'm talking on on the podcast is not a really expensive mic it's a an re20 electro voice and it's kind of a very common, very standard utility mic. But the truth is, 
a lot of your favorite Motown hits were recorded with the vocals being done on this mic. You wonder. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of artists. It, it's just, it's a great mic. You can, you can get it to distort nicely. I mean, it's great for instruments too, but a lot of times the mic that may be right for the vibe of the song you're doing are not necessarily the one with the best specs. You know, we've had, I've had screamers do vocals into this exact mic and it, it sounds awesome. It almost gives them like a natural compression and distortion and EQ all at the same time. So it's not going to be your, your textbook most pristine quality, but when you're making a, a recording, that you know, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the vibe and the emotion and how everything cuts. So just, it's good to have the, the good, uh, more expensive, you know, high quality mics that you know are going to give you an accurate reproduction. But don't be afraid to try something crazy. Like years ago, Andrew Sheps got me to buy a, a harmonica mic. I think it's from Shore. Uh, and not expensive. Oh, the but green bullet? What's that? The green bullet? It's either the green bullet or the one they had right before then. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's just awesome. And if you get, uh, you know, a really loud singer to work with that mic, you get a really cool distortion and, and compression with it that's just, it's really cool. It's not accurate, but it's just really nice to listen to. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Speaking that. of electro voice and harmonicas, um, so in my search, you know, I was like, what did Jim Morrison sing on? And it came up, according to Bruce Botnick, it was the, his engineer, it was the U47 Tele. But then you also see pictures of him with this other microphone that looks like a lightsaber, you know, a lot of his live perform performances, which was the Electro Voice 676. And it's not, he used it in a ton of live performances. And uh, I found one online for really cheap. I guess they're not sought after. So I have one in, coming in the mail right now, just for fun. <laughs> I've never <laughs> Six, heard of 60, 65 bucks. It's look at all these pictures of Jim, like when he's doing Touch Me on the Smothers Brothers or whatever that was, he's using a gold-plated version of it. Um, was that where he yet, had the black eye because somebody had punched him? Shortly? Oh, the guitar player, uh, oh, Robbie Krieger, has a black eye. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, but anyways, okay, that, one's, that one's on the way. <laughs> another mic you want to, may want to check out, Brandon, is yeah. uh, we used to make mics when we were at Sound Deluxe, and then he broke off, a, it's called Bach. Okay. Uh, and then um, he makes some amazing, he made me a custom 47 and a 251. And uh, they've been very well sought after, especially the 47s. I'll tell you about David Bach. Okay. David is so into it. He'd learned German so he could read the old Neumann spec sheet <laughs> manuals. <laughs> That's awesome. that's awesome. pretty experience. That's amazing. That's, I mean, his stuff, his stuff is great. I have to say, everything is dynamite. But that's, Scott and Bobby, uh, in regard to like a custom forty-seven like that, what? How how he, what does that cost? He makes them. He made me one because to a. I was doing a lot of creature vocals, so he made me a special one. But no, he makes forty-sevens and fifty-ones, and they are fractions of the real thing. Of the real thing. Okay, cool. It's fantastic. And they're really good. Really That's good. a good option, yeah. Well, Brandon, there's a bunch of information for you. Um, the last thing yeah, I want to say thank on you this guys. is I want to, uh, I want to, you know, multiply by three uh, Bobby Osinski's comment on Mojave Audio because those guys are great. We actually had Dusty on our podcast in the early days a couple times, and he's just uh, he's a great guy. And uh, and Andrew Sheps actually really speaks highly of, uh, of Mojave Audio Life, so it's, it's great. There's a lot of really – I would check those guys out regardless because they have a 
price points. They're, they're, there's a lot of bank yeah. back there. I, I and they're in Burbank too, but so is David Buck. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we try wow. both of them, you know, and I'm in the right place. Yeah. Mojave Audio was founded by David Royer, who, yeah. uh, of course, oh, is the owner okay. of Royer Ribbons. And so he's got, you know, some of my favorite ribbon microphones on earth uh, with Royer. And then he wanted to do something a little bit different with Mojave. And before, uh, before they got to building their own, the first thing that they did was that they sold a U47 DIY kit where yeah. you would take a cheap Chinese microphone and then you would pull out all the guts and replace it with their electronic guts with a little transformer and thing. Um, so this is like a GXL 2200 <laughs> microphone that I paid like 200 bucks for um, and then replaced the, the guts inside. And it's nice. You know, it's a nice sounding mic. Cool. Well, hopefully that helps you or confuses you, Brandon. One of the two. <laughs> no, this is, this, is fan, this is fantastic, guys. That gave me a lot of good options to check There's out. No, Thank but you. But ultimately, you know what, though? Report back to us. But ultimately, I think Nick yeah. said it. It's going to be how it sounds. You know, it's going to be what, what, how it sounds in your voice, how, what, what, how you bond. Exactly. Yep. So. Yeah. You got to do your own shootout on your gear and your mix or you'll but, just never know. Go to Westlake Pro. Tell them what you're looking for. They'll put it all in line and just record it into Pro Tools and then listen back and see what you like. And one thing I'll say cool. just in all the zillions of mic shootouts I've done, whether it was for Stevie or for myself or other artists, it's not usually... Like there's usually one or two that are so heads and shoulders above the rest a good fit for you. It's not usually where like, oh, I just listened to Ben and I can't really tell. Like, especially if you're just doing something with your own vocals and you're listening to yourself, there's something that happens with the right mic where you just feel like, okay, this is just a million times better than everything else. So if, if you're trying a bunch of stuff and it's all sort of okay, sort of okay, you probably haven't found the right one yet. Right. If they're all sort of on the same level, there's usually one that just, you go, wow, this is right. And that's the thing that got me so excited about the first time uh, I, I had taken Stevie to the Mojave booth at a NAMM show. And he had that reaction. And I forget which model it was, but, you know, we're talking four or five years ago. And it was just, of all the mics we had checked out at NAMM that year, it was just hands down the one that just blew everybody away the most. You work with Stevie Wonder? Mm -hmm. For, I just passed 35 years. Wow. I know I only look 33, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move on. Uh, and uh, like I said, Brandon, just report back to us. Uh, we're going to spend yep. some time uh, visiting with Carl because Carl Tatz, um, who's a studio designer, uh, I met him a couple of years ago when we went out and did the Nashville episode of, uh, of Spaces. And... Um, he was, he took us to Upper Deck Studios, which is in a, one of my favorite studios. And believe me, I've been around the world. I've seen a lot of studios. And that was, had just some enormous um, challenges for a studio designer. And he not only designed this amazing um, small little studio, but it was gorgeous. And it had some of the coolest features that I've ever seen in a studio. But then he also had this monitoring system, Phantom Focus Monitoring, which uh, I got to hear, and man, talk about listening to music in a whole new way. Um, and since then, he's come out with his own monitors, and uh, you have your, your chair. Carl, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the studio design and, and what were some of your favorites, and then I'll show a couple pictures in a little bit. Oh, boy. 
Well, I, I was a commercial, uh, owned a commercial studio for 18 years in Nashville <clears throat> and uh, started out um, as, a, um, as a as a demo room and then I actually started on a uh, Fostex B16, if you remember those, a half inch machine. I love that machine. <clears throat> and I had a, a Soundcraft uh, 400B, I think it was. And then I graduated to a Soundcraft TS12 and then graduated to a TS3200, which is a beautiful uh, split console, but you could use it um, as a uh, it had a margin section, but it had EQ on it. So it was like, I think it was uh, maybe 50, 56 inputs all in all. I love that console, but then it seemed like, and then along the way, you know, I went from the, the Fostex to a 24 track Atari to a 32 track digital, which was the machine in, in Nashville, Nashville Vanguard digital recording. For the Mitsubishi or the 3M? Uh, yeah, uh, Mitsubishi, 3M never made it to Nashville. Okay. Um, that was uh, Roger left that up, <laughs> those up in New York, but actually Roger was a client of mine, um, and then eventually um, to the Sony Forty Eight track, um, and then and eventually to a brand new SSL G Plus with automation. And this was just in a house, so started out as an overdub studio. We did a bunch of tracking, a lot of demo stuff, but I wanted it to be a mix room, so obviously that was the step to. <clears throat> making a mix room and um you know i had a hell of a note at that point uh so i had to just get you know the best engineers in town to come and and book the damn place you know so it kind of pushed me away from the console uh and so i started concentrating more on monitoring and that was sort of like the beginning of the phantom focus system it wasn't the phantom focus system at that point but it kind of got me going and then I sold the studio to Cheryl Crow in 2003, which was the greatest day of my life, because uh, the whole commercial studio thing was going, you know, <laughs> at that point. Nashville, it, it happened first in Nashville. And uh, I thought I would uh, just uh, go crazy um, or, or do well with uh, uh, home, home theaters, you know, uh, with my pro background. But it just never really happened in Nashville. So <clears throat> I just started doing, you know, more pro audio stuff. And I developed this thing I call the Phantom Focus System, which is a monitor tuning protocol uh, where we take a, a digital processor, a pair of subwoofers, and um, a pair of stands. <clears throat> and then it's a two-day procedure. And it's just very regimented. I, I just have all these steps. Um, and because of that, I'm able to like guarantee the results. I've got a thousand on it. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. And they're, the studios I design are basically vessels for that. Uh, that's, that's, I go through the agony of however long it takes to design a studio so I can have that one moment with the client behind the console and look at his face when you use the panel focus system and Mike can testify to his experience. To I, I actually, I have it on film. I, but oh, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Unfortunately I, it was, uh, I couldn't use it in, in spaces because right, it was yeah. a commercial piece of music, but it is like, it's just jaw dropping how amazing that was. Like I, I actually did that with Warren Howard who did a video on a couple of videos, one at his place and then one at the upper deck. And uh, 
I got his cameraman to go behind the console and shoot his face the first time he, he turned it up. So it's really fun. And it's, it's really wonderful. And I, I can't really tell you about it without sounding like a used car salesman. You have to hear it. No, uh, I'll talk about it. It is, it's, you know what it is? And it's like, you could hear into your music, like you've never heard into it before. Like, like, and I'm not talking about Atmos, you know, immersive. I'm just talking about seeing into the music. Like sometimes, you know, you hear monitors and, and it's just a left and a right and it's just playing at you. But when I sat in the Phantom Focus and you sit right, you know, when you're in the sweet spot and then they start the demo, you're, you're like in the music. It's just, it's, it's, it becomes very dimensional like you've never but, had. And it's a tool. I mean, the main thing, it's a tool. It's not just to blow your skirt up. And Bobby, oh yeah, it, it wasn't loud at all. It was, it was exactly. It's, it wasn't. It's not like you're not getting blown away. It's just for me. It was just this clarity. Right. Well, Bob, Bobby, uh, Bobby brought Ken over to. Uh, he's heard the Phantom Focus. He hasn't heard my monitors, but he's he's heard the Phantom Focus system. You want to talk a little bit about that, Bobby? Oh yeah, I was just going to bring that up. So uh, Ken Scott and I were going to Nashville for whatever reason, and. Uh, yeah, it was probably a book thing. And Carl picked us up and took uh, took us to a studio that he had that was a, a demo. The Blue Grotto. And he put on the Super Trap album that Ken says is the best thing he's ever done, either as a, an engineer or a producer. And Ken, you know, went through that same thing where he was hearing things that he had never heard before. And I remember him turning around to us and saying, I never heard that edit before. And this was an edit that he did way back when, and he had never heard it. The same thing with uh, the panning, which is so precise. And that was the, the one thing that really jumped out where, you know, if, if you take it off by, by two degrees, you, you can hear it off two by two degrees, you know, where in most systems you have to go quite far before you begin to hear the, the, the difference between, you know, the center and anywhere else. So, um, that, that was quite an experience. I think you, Bobby, you, you hit on it as far as like the panning, because the one thing I remember, it's not like you had two speakers. You just had this nice sound coming at you. Yeah, the speakers was, disappear. Exactly. It was very, very, like, it was balanced, you know? It's just, that's about the best way I can say it is it's just like the, the wall became one giant, you know. I remember Ken saying, because um, I, I went out of my way, I, I said, oh, my God, uh, you know, to, to be in the same room with him was like such a rush, you know, you know, here he is, the same guy who worked with the Beatles over and over again. I'm in the same room with him. I mean, it was just crazy. So I, I, I uh, downloaded a Blackbird, and uh, I played that for him. And I remember him swinging around. He said, he said I never, never realized how out of sync uh, McCartney's vocal double was. <laughs> so that was fun to hear. That's, that's well, without, without telling any secrets, like what's the secret? What, what is that? <laughs> the secret is there's no fucking secret. It's just, it's just doing it right. It's just, it's just physics. So, I mean, I developed it and it's, you know, I started off, you know, with analog, you know, EQs and it, it's evolved every probably year or so. I, I learn a little bit more, but, um, you know, it, it's a two day procedure. The first day, 
is what I call the rhythm section, because if you don't have that, you're polishing a turd. So, you know, we always use two subwoofers because, and, and they're corner loaded with the drivers facing the wall or down, you know, whatever we need to do. <clears throat> um, because when you do that, then um, the subwoofers become out of phase with each other at the first and third axle null. So you get these nulls here and they just come up automatically, no EQ. So that's a wonderful thing. Obviously, it increases your headroom. Um, and then um, we laser, we use what I call a quad laser system to put the speakers. All, all the near field systems are exactly the same distance apart, tweeter to tweeter, ear height and uh, 67 and a half inches apart, tweeter to tweeter. There's no magic in that. Uh, it just <clears throat> it makes for a nice triangle. The triangle, the apex of the triangle is 18 inches in front of the console. Um, so your ears, you're inside that triangle, and that's that's what helps with the um, you know the imaging and making the speakers go. It's on my website. It's called the Null Positioning Ensemble. Uh, I lecture at Blackbird Studios here in Nashville every class, and uh, I show the graphs. Um, uh, so anyway, we get it set up, and it takes about. We're getting better. You know, we've really got it down to a science now. I have a template that I use. So I can just duplicate this every time I do it. Um, and so the second day, and sometimes it'll happen at the end, the end of the first day, uh, I actually do the tuning. So it's figuring out, you know, the slope and the crossover point uh, between the, the monitors and the subwoofers uh, so that they're perfectly in phase. So it sounds like it's this picture you see behind me there. This is a, called the O'Connor mixture, which I just found out today was uh, nominated for a tech award. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, those speakers, those are my speakers. Um, they, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, so the idea is like, I mean, these only have, you know, it's a Diapolito array, so they have two five-inch drivers, and it'll sound like 20 hertz is coming out of, of the, the speakers rather than, you can't see my cursor, can you? No. no. Okay. No. Never mind. You do this. I'm, if you I'm point, all the time with my you just point do the weatherman thing, and yeah, you can do this. You can point. Uh, <laughs> anyway, those corners you see on the left to the left of the console behind me. Yeah, yeah. that's where the subwoofers are. One in each corner. So that's a uh, below. There's a shelf, and below the shelf, that's just fabric, and the subwoofers are in there. And we have our own subwoofers that. Uh, ice cubes that go down to 20 hertz and then above the uh the uh the uh there's a shelf and then above that it's a bass trap but the phantom focus system will work with anybody's speakers anybody's um uh, that works with uh, scott's um air 20s that he has there uh, i showed him a picture of those uh so it'll work with any any speaker it just i get to the point where it just it made sense for me to have my own speakers so and they're built from the ground up in Nashville, which was a huge pain in the ass. Putting <laughs> the whole thing together, believe me. So wait, oh. so your your Phantom Focus monitors now, not not the system, but now your actual monitors. Those are the ones that are they're made in Nashville, right? That's that's your own yeah. Brand. You you heard, you heard the uh, HDs, which are the uh, have the passive crossover in them, and then uh, the ones behind me, those are the UHDs, which are biamped. And they, you know, the crossover is in the processor. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone bought just the monitors, um, 
do they get is there any of that phantom focus technology built into the no, they're, they're useless you know I, I don't sell them you have to have the phantom focus system to work to, with them. to get to get your monitors yeah yeah i mean I, i'd love to be able to just sell monitors but i would be very unhappy because I, i could never no matter what you do or whether what auto correction you do you're never going to get it to sure. what this to what you heard Carl, I have an interesting question um, along these lines. So we are now talking about a, a, an oral system in which, you know, it's extremely high resolution. As you said, uh, you know, Ken Scott could hear an edit in the Supertramp album. What format were you playing music back to him? Was it just a compact disc? And if so, that would be fascinating to think that you would have that much detail in 1644, right? Uh, yeah, they were primarily C CDs, yeah. We're going to move on because we're running out of time, and there's a couple things I want to get to. Um, first of all, really quick, I want to show you a couple pictures of um, some rooms that, um, that Carl did. And what's amazing is one of these rooms has the coolest thing ever. Um, there's another room. It's in uh, Colorado. There's another room. That's this, the room you were in, Mike. Yep, that's the upper deck, which is mm. such a great small studio. But the best thing about it is if you look in the back um, and you see where the drums are. See the drums back there? Um, and for those who are you are only on audio and not watching our video, I'm sorry. <laughs> But in the back, you see the drums. And the cove for the drums, so it looks like, the drums are in like this little corner. When I first saw it, I said, well, it's, they're kind of tucked in. I wonder what kind of drum sound you get. But if you look at the ceiling, that it has like a grid and the ceiling goes up and there's all this space above the drums. So you get this big sound out of a tiny little, little corner. And it was, to me, when you sat there and when you talked and you heard the sound coming from that little corner, that was just genius. I mean, that was just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Is yeah, what was neat about it, it almost like, like, acted like a booth because a lot of sound didn't come out into the room. No. Um, you know, and obviously if you wanted that, you would take the kid out into the room, but it worked out well. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. And I'm, I, was, I was blown away at, at so, how that worked. Um, And not only that, but if you go and you look at the Nashville episode, um, there's a whole segment with Carl. And that, that studio itself had some challenges that Carl met with Flying Colors. It, it's become one of my favorite little studios in the world because it sounds great. And it looks fantastic. And all his rooms look good. But, you know, the way Carl dresses, of course, all his rooms are going to look good because he's a snappy dresser. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, um, one other thing before we get going, because we're running out of time, uh, talk about your chair. You have the, the chair that I see, and I, and I get tons of emails about the chair, and I just want to, I want um, you to. What, what, happened to Bob, what happened to Bobby? Who knows? Seeing his photo. <laughs> He can hear you. We just can't see him. Can we hear Bob? Bobby? Are you there? Nice. He's not there. The internet's happened to Bobby. <laughs> there he is. Oh, I, I am now. I, I had to leave the room because there's no air conditioning on right now or else it'll be too loud. I was going to pass out. Uh, <laughs> glad you didn't. Okay. Bobby, you can talk about your chair. The chair is really comfortable. 
and it's especially good for engineers just because it does things that no other chair does. It allows you to lean forward. It leans with you. What other chair does that? So, again, it's one of those things where if you're working behind a console, I think it's, you know, it's essential because you're, you're definitely doing the lean thing all day long, and this is doing it with you. Wow. Really cool. Oh, yeah. oh, I, discovered this. I, I discovered a few years ago uh, at AES in New York, and I said, this is really cool. It just, it's part, I mean, when you buy a Phantom Focus system, the chair comes with it. Uh, but I mean, we sell hundreds of those chairs all over the country, most of them in LA, actually. Um, but I said, this is a really cool chair. Can you do, can you make it custom? So it, it's, you know, it, so I, I, the model I sell will be different than anybody else's. And, you know, we came up with the different colors and we're actually going to come up with uh, some new arm armrests that are going to be very cool. And, but the armrests go really low, so if you play guitar, you, could, you don't have to take the arms off, but you could take them off if you wanted to, to play the guitar. But it's, it's just uh, people with air on chairs replace them with these. So it's had a lot of fun uh, with them. And do you have resellers in L.A.? What's that? Do you have resellers in Los Angeles? No, but does anybody know Richard Furch, the engineer? In a, he's in Encino. And he has both models. There's two models, basically. There's the regular model, which you see right there. That's the uh, the um, porcelain, silver mesh porcelain uh, model. And then it comes in a black one with chrome on the bottom called the Raven Chrome. And then there's a uh, silver mesh chrome. Uh, and then there's the Master Engineer Series, which is the same chair, but it's got a plusher back. Um, and uh, Richard Furch in Encino has both of them. Uh, but again, go to phantomfocus.com and you'll learn a lot. There's a great, great video that the designer uh, did for me. Uh, and also there's several um, uh, reviews, including Bobby's. Um, cost me a fortune for that one. Um, uh, well, that's, that, that's great. We're going to have to check it out. We're running out of time. Actually, we ran out of time. We're going to have to make some edits, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but uh, before we go, Carl, the best way for people that want to get in touch with you is through your website, through Phantom Focus or Carl Tats. Which one? What's the best um, way for people to find out about you? Well, the, the phantomfocus.com is the e-commerce site that has you know, most of the information where you can actually buy it and it has most of the information about the products. Carl Tatz Design um, has all the studios and, and uh, it has like the, the null positioning ensemble. If you want to try, try uh, setting up your monitors like we do, it tells you exactly how to do that. There's a room calculator and a bunch of stuff. And we're about to have um, a, new, a new, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, there's a brand new website, new Carl Tatz Design that'll have a, um, better, bigger pictures with higher resolution. Um, you know, or you can just email me at uh, Carl, Carl Tass Design. All that information's on um, both of those websites. Fantastic. Hey, before we go, anybody working on anything they can talk about? Anybody have any projects coming up? Anything? Uh... 
You know, <laughs> that saves some time right there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the group. first time ever. <laughs> I'm the only one talking shit here. <laughs> I want to hear. Hey, Mike, you're working on anything interesting right now? Uh, as a matter of fact, I am. I just got a giant box full of API gear, and that's one of the best things about being sponsored by API is you have connections. <laughs> I don't get to keep any of it, but uh, I get to play with it for a little bit, and I'm working on a really fun project uh, video that uh, maybe coming sooner than later. So yeah, it's well, really but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Aren't we all technically sponsored by API? <laughs> Did anyone? Oh, hey. hey, you know what? You know who to email. <laughs> you know who to talk to. Okay, That's okay. all I'm going to say. I will tell you this, though. I'll give you a little, a, a little preview. I designed the best small, large format console. So it's not the box. It's basically a couple of... Uh, of their single um, rack space units and a custom, you know, uh, stuffed lunchbox with uh, modules that I put together. And it's like, it's, that's the coolest thing about this gear is you will absolutely get that giant console sound through this stuff. So it's, it's kind of, you know, when you work with really high quality components like this, and especially with something like API, here's a commercial program, but I don't care. With something like API, they're so consistent, right? They're so consistent throughout all their lines that you can get that big console sound on a small little console. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty, pretty awesome. And this isn't even a console. It's just a lunchbox and some modules. So there you go. There's the little tease. Nice. All right. Well, Carl, we're going to have to have you come back. Um, and I found that podcast, so we're going to do a flashback. So you'll, see, you'll hear our Nashville podcast where we had Carl and a couple other uh, engineers. And one of the great stories on that podcast is there is this audio edit in uh, ELO's Evil Woman that was done by hand, that the story behind it is phenomenal. Who, and who, who did that? Was that um, uh, uh, David Tony? I think so, yeah. He was the one who was the assistant and had to do edits. And that was back in the day where an edit was literally chopping the tape. I mean, how what much was pressure there? was that? How much pressure was that when you're rocking those things, making sure you have the right edit, and then you slice the tape? I can't even fathom. The pressure was when you realized you'd done it on the wrong 16th note. That's when the pressure kicked in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get a great, I get a great edit story, but if we run out of time, we'll do it next time. This is a, we're gonna, you're gonna come back, Carl. This is fun. We're gonna bring you back, and uh, yes, we'll definitely we can catch it on the next one. All right, anybody have anything else? All right, well, from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Audio at nowcastnetwork.com. By the way, we picked up one more listener, so now we're to number eight. Um, instead of seven. <laughs> and, and I know this because I got an email saying, hey, I'm your new number eight. And I thought that was really funny. So, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch Thanks, Mike. Tell Andrew you need a new comfy chair, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast sponsored by API and Wireworld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbitier, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, 
Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time.